name is Myrtle and welcome to the Confidence Fighter for Love. Each week I'll be discussing what it means to have confidence and how you can grow. Hello and this week I'm delighted to welcome Carolina Mapford. Carolina, please can you tell us a bit about yourself and your story? Myrtle, good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, so I am, gosh, I'm rather old. I'm 48. I'm married. I've got two boys. I live in London. And my story sort of growing up was we moved around the world quite a lot, mostly in Europe and South America. By the age of 13, I had been in eight different schools in five different countries and speaking sort of three different languages. Um, And every time we moved, it was a different culture, different language, a different school. Um, So it was all rather unstable and tricky. And um, we then settled sort of in London when I was about 12, 11, 12. And then I stayed here throughout school. I did my university here, but still with lots of, you know, traveling and um, sort of stints abroad. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would, that's a really good question, Myrtle. I would say talk about your feelings and don't bottle them up because actually, as we speak, and of course, you know, we have to be selective about, you know, who we open ourselves up to, but so much power is taken and intensity is taken out of our feelings once we've talked them through with somebody. It doesn't necessarily solve the problem, but it definitely helps. And you may have heard the expression, a problem shared is a problem halved, um, because it really does help to just sort of get it out of our heads and actually speak it out to someone else. So I would definitely say find someone that you are really comfortable with sharing stuff. And if you're feeling cross or sad or confused or lonely or whatever it is that you're feeling, just I would really encourage, have encouraged myself to be a bit braver and, and sort of seek those people out and, and talk about my feelings. What advice would you give about social media? I this is a brilliant question. Social media is such a big thing at the moment. I um, it wasn't around when I was growing up, but now I. But that doesn't matter. It's it's as relevant to to adults as it is to children and and young people. I would say be very. Um, uh, judicious, be very cautious and selective and careful about who you follow on social media and who you allow to follow you. We spend so much time on social media, far more than we probably ought to. And the things that we look at and the things that we are scrolling have quite a significant influence on how we think and feel. And if, therefore, we are looking at accounts that leave us feeling rubbish and demoralized and a bit low and just generally feeling bad about ourselves, that's going to have quite a significant impact on on our behavior and our, and our consequential sort of and our thought patterns. But if we fill our social media accounts with people and and accounts that inspire us, that encourage us, 
that make us feel good, that make us think, yeah, I can, I can do this, um, that sort of equip and empower us, then the difference that that can make in our lives is really, really big. And um, I think there's far too much on social media. Um, what a lot of it for a start is, is not real. And we all know this, you know, people post their best selfies with filters, things have been airbrushed. Um, and, and it's, and it's the same, you know, as, as adults, you know, we see family pictures where everyone is smiling and happy. But what we don't know is what's happened five minutes before or what's happened five minutes after when the whole thing has sort of fallen apart. Um, and, and so what ends up happening is we end up comparing our, very, our everyday and our sort of um, the reality of our everyday with someone else's tweaked highlights and so of course the comparison is not fair and so invariably we will feel less than and not good enough and we will start you know believing some of the negative thoughts that that will come from that why do you think comparing yourself to others is such a big waste of time because because we are unique. We are uniquely made and uniquely created. And all our, if we're talking about bodies, for example, all our bodies are different. And two people of the same age, of the same gender, of the same height, can eat the same thing and their bodies can react very differently. And so, again, it's, it's, it's just not fair to yourself, to compare yourself to other people, because actually everyone is different. And, um, you know, our metabolism is different, our body composition is different. And so, and I think comparison only ever does two things. It either makes us feel much better compared to the other person, and we can get rather boastful and proud and sort of, oh, I'm better than you, which is not great. Or it makes us feel really rubbish and bad and and we start kind of having, you know, nasty thoughts and our brains can tell us nasty things. So either way, whichever way you'd look at it, comparisons are really unhelpful. How should we think about food? Brilliant question, Myrtle. So I work a lot in the area of eating disorders and mental health and um, food... I think this to be viewed as two things. Food is fuel. We think of our bodies as engines, as a car. Um, food is fuel. It is what keeps us growing. Um, and it keeps us well, growing as a child and a teenager and, and a young adult. And it keeps us going just as a human being. But food is also there to be enjoyed. It's not just um, a sort of a, a mechanical need. It's there to be enjoyed and celebrated in all its in all its glory, in all its sort of variety, and it's all its flavors and colors and textures. And so food is really important, I think, on, on both those counts. Can you explain some of the different eating disorders? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll do that briefly. So basically, um, eating disorders, much like any other sort of addiction or really unhealthy habit, is just a way that people end up using to cope with difficult emotions and feelings. It's 
it's not really about uh, food or weight or, or body shape. It is, you know, eating disorders are, are mental illnesses. And so it's, there's always an underlying uh, reason um, which is not to do with with food, but in essence, um, briefly, uh, you know, some of you might might may have heard of anorexia nervosa. People call it anorexia for short, um, which is essentially a very restrictive um, way of eating. Um, very often, but not always, um, someone will present as being very underweight. Um, people will have very strict rules about what and when they allow themselves to eat. Um, and they, the, some people may or may not also binge uh, with it, but but not not always. Um, another eating disorder which is quite um, quite common is called bulimia nervosa, which is where people um, will eat large amounts of quantity of food, which is called a binge, and then they will compensate for that either by making themselves sick or um, ex uh, exercising excessively um, or by restricting, um, so sort of by not by not eating. Um, and then the third main type of eating disorders, because there are more than three, but these are the main three, is called binge eating um, disorder. And that is where someone will plan in advance to have a vast amount of food, but they do this on a regular basis. Um, and these are all, you know, really, and, and, then, and then they purge. So it means they, they get rid of, of what they've consumed usually by making themselves sick, but not not always that way. And as I said, these, these are the three main eating disorders. It can affect anybody of any age, of any background, of any gender, and of any race. Eating disorders do not discriminate. It is not, um, you know, the stereotypical view that eating disorders affect, you know, white, middle-class, teenage girls. Is not. I mean, that is that that is such a myth because actually it affects a quarter of people with eating disorders are male, and it affects any any race, color, gender, background. So those are those are in a nutshell the the, the three main eating disorders. Why do you think people go on such restricted diets? Because it is a way of numbing the emotional distress that they are in. It, it gives them something else to focus on rather than addressing the underlying, the underlying cause. It can be, there could be trauma, there could be difficulties at home, there could, it could be exam stress, it could be, there could be so many reasons for it. But it, the ultimate trigger, I mean, it could be, it, it could start as a, oh, and I'm just going to lose a few pounds. But what is well researched and well established is that dieting uh, will predispose someone to having an eating disorder. So if you diet, you are more likely to go on to develop an eating disorder. What wisdom do you give to anyone listening that is struggling with food? I would really encourage anyone who thinks or feels, you know, deep down, if they know that there's something not quite right about how they relate to food or their relationship to food 
or weight or shape, that they would talk to someone. And it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't have to be a parent. Um, it could be a teacher. It could be your best friend's mom, but someone that you trust and that you feel safe with. But I would really encourage them to to say, actually, I, I know there's something not quite right. Um, and it, it, you know, it can be anything. It could be whether they feel that they need to be exercising a lot or that they can't, they know that they find it really hard to eat certain types of food or they're restricting or, or maybe they are making themselves sick or, but something that's, you know, that they know or that they feel kind of in their hearts. Oh gosh, I know that's not a brilliant thing to be doing. And, I would just encourage them to speak to someone and to get help as soon as possible. There's amazing charities, and one of them is called BEAT. It's UK's leading eating disorder charity, and it's been well-researched and also well-established that the sooner um, someone gets help for an eating disorder, the outcomes are far, far better. And our, you know, our brains are really clever and, and they can change. So one of the things that happens with eating disorders and, and with, with uh, malnutrition is that our, the chemistry and the wiring in our brain changes. Because uh, so, these, you know, these are brain disorders. And so, so that changes. But equally, the sooner that you reestablish good and healthy eating patterns, then that rewiring in the brain can also be restored much more easily. So the sooner, the better, basically. But but do be sure that it's someone that you trust, that you feel safe with. And, and also, I would say to someone, please, please know that you're not alone. I would say two things. Know that you're not alone. There are many, many people who suffer with eating disorders. And and you are yeah you are really not alone and there are people out there who are longing to cheer you on and help you and guide you and the other thing i would say is that um recovery is totally possible this is not something you have to live with for the rest of your life you can be totally free from eating disorders there is hope thank you carolina for talking to me today it's been thank you. such a pleasure thank you for having me myrtle Thank you so much for listening. If you're using Apple Podcasts, I really appreciate a rating and review. It means other young girls can find this podcast more easy and learn. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.